Hey everybody, welcome to the Export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who will have an interesting clash of two of his favorite teams squaring off this weekend. Ethan, how you doing today? I'm good. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think about it until you just said it. It is about to be very interesting. Yeah, I know your heart lies with the Titans, but it's gonna be a fun game for sure. I mean, it's a good, it's a good amount of games. Uh, coming on this weekend that I'm excited for, but yeah, I might deal with the NBA. It's a couple guys I'm interested in this, like the rest of this week. Oh, most def. Great sports week for everybody, and if you watch the World Cup, of course that's going on too. Conference championship games this weekend across college football. I mean, this is just a great sports week, and also the first day of December this year has literally flown by but let's go ahead and get into what we're going to talk about on this week's episode of the show we're going to discuss which team is the best fit for former head coach Sean Payton we're also going to discuss whether or not the Packers should bench Aaron Rodgers for the rest of the year in favor of Jordan Love with regards to the NBA we are going to discuss whether or not Carl Anthony Towns's recent injury is a really big blow to the Timberwolves or not and finally I'm going to recap Survivor Series War Games but before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get this bad boy started. So as we always do, college football player spotlight. Like I said, it's a really big weekend in college football and probably none bigger than for TCU. More specifically, TCU junior wide receiver Quentin Johnston, who for much of the season was viewed as possibly the best wide receiver of the 2023 class, and rightfully so. He stands at 6'4", has over 700 receiving yards, five touchdowns, and is averaging 15 points six yards per reception it never hurts to have size on the outside so Ethan what team do you think could be a good fit for Quentin Johnston mm, I'm going to go with the none one of is kind of obvious but the obvious answer would definitely be Green Bay but I'm going to go with the none a not as obvious answer well that is obvious as well I'm going to go with the Giants yeah, they could for sure use wideouts. Um, um, I'm kind of under the assumption that uh, Quentin Johnson is probably going to go relatively early. The last mock draft I saw him go was like with the 11th overall pick. But honestly, I think a good fit. I don't want to mock another receiver to the Colts because Lord knows they do need him. But I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to agree with you on the Giants. I mean, when you look at that receiving core, Sterling Shepard is fine, but he suffered a season-ending knee injury. Darius Slayton has kind of stepped up in recent weeks, but there was questions before the season even started if he was even going to be on the team. Wondell Robinson, rookie, showed flashes, but he recently suffered a season-ending injury as well. I mean, if you look at that receiving core, it is not great. Everybody knows that the life life and heart and soul of that offense is Saquon Barkley, so getting another wideout out there will provide some help especially since there are other receivers who have not been stepping up. Here's looking at you, Kenny Galladay. But all right, let's go ahead and look back at week 12, which was a pretty good week for both of us. We went 12 and 4, so 
pretty sound on the prediction. Starting off with uh, last Thursday's triple threat, we had the Buffalo Bills edge out the Detroit Lions 28 to 25. Dallas Cowboys beat the Giants 28 to 20, and Vikings won a close one against the Patriots 33 to 26. Uh, moving on to Sunday's games, the Carolina Panthers. Get a decisive win over the Broncos, 23-10. My Baltimore Ravens fall into the Jaguars' trap, as I freaking called it. Uh, lost 28-27. Washington Commanders beat the Falcons, 19-13. Uh, Miami Dolphins impre look impressive in their win over the Texans, 30-15. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals continue their recent win streak against the Tennessee Titans, 20-16. Jets embarrass the Bears, 31-10. Browns beat the Bucks in overtime, twenty-three to seventeen. Uh, Chargers edge out the Cardinals, twenty-five to twenty-four. Josh Jacobs puts on a show in the Raiders overtime, forty to thirty-four win over the Seahawks. Forty Niners shut out the Saints, thirteen to zero. Rams uh, play defense steps up, but they still lose to the Chiefs, twenty-six to ten. Uh, Eagles win a surprisingly good game against the Packers Sunday Night Football, forty to thirty-three, and the Pittsburgh Steelers edge out the Colts by the skin of their teeth, twenty-four to seventeen. Like I said, we both had a good week in terms of records, but unfortunately, there were quite a few injuries that took place. Starting with the Eagles, who lose safety uh, C.J. Gardner Johnson for an indefinite amount of time after he suffered a lacerated kidney. Bears lose safety Eddie Jackson for the rest of the year after he suffers a Liz Frank injury. Nine, then to boot, they're also going to lose Darnell Mooney, who needed season ending surgery following the Jets game. 49ers lose running back Elijah Mitchell for the second time this season. This time, he's going to be out for six to eight weeks with the MCL sprain. Bucks suffer a huge loss in their offensive line with Tristan Wirfs out with an ankle injury for at least the next three to four weeks. Bills luck up with Von Miller as he suffers a knee sprain as opposed to the expected uh, torn ACL. His return is TBD. And then finally, the Los Angeles Rams injuries continue to pile up. In addition to losing Allen Robinson for the rest of the year, Aaron Donald is set to miss his first game of his career with an ankle injury. However, there are a lot of questions of if Aaron Donald and these other stars should just shut it down for the rest of the year. Of course, I'm referring to Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, etc. But Ethan, what do you think? Do you think that they should shut down their best players? Because I think they should. Oh yeah, most definitely. I think because um, <clears throat> the reality is, like you said, they And Detroit has their one first overall, well, first round pick. Yeah, so it's like, you know, you guys don't have a number one or first round pick. Um, and I think it's just one of those things to where it's like, hey, chop it up, rest everybody, get everybody healthy. Um, and yes, you still have a portion of the season, but this could be a really good time to, for you, especially for a team like the Rams that don't have that many draft picks. Like you can use these times to develop talent that you have already in house, and maybe you can find a couple um, diamonds in the rough with what's already on your roster if they're able to get more reps and get more repetition because you are playing the starters. So that's what I would do. Yeah, you and I are in total agreement on that. Um, I would also just go ahead and let it go. Um, especially because like you're not really playing for anything. I think right now the Rams are what three and seven, three and eight. I mean, this year has 
undoubtedly been a wash and so because of that I think right now it's just better to kind of cut your losses and just like you said kind of get those guys healthy and develop those younger guys because I mean it's not like you really have many options in the draft I think they still have their second round pick but don't quote me which I mean that's still going to be a high pick in its own right so that's a plus but I mean you're not going to have that first round pick so you're already at a bit of a disadvantage so might as well just shut it down try to get your stars healthy now playing devil's advocate I mean, we heard all the talk about Aaron Donald potentially retiring this offseason, even had everything drawn up, prepared to be sent to the league office. Do you think Aaron Donald is re- regretting not retiring after the Super Bowl? Uh, I'm going to say yes, because I think he came back with the thought process of like, hey, we're going to essentially come back and we're going to be, I don't know, they essentially thought he was going to be in a running for a Super Bowl. And with them performing the way that they have, I can say he probably is just because it's like, hey, at this point, he's chasing another ship because we all know once you get the first one, you want another. When you have a legacy that he has and a reputation that he has, like, being honest, in my personal opinion, and I know a lot of these guys I haven't seen before, but if Aaron Donald was to win another championship, I would fault him as the greatest defensive player of all time. Um, just from a statistical standpoint, the impact on the game that we've seen, especially in his position as a defensive lineman. But, yes, yeah, so I think he might be regretting it because they had to perform the way that he probably thought they were when he resigned. Yeah, no, it has been a really bad look across the board. I don't know if I say the greatest defensive player of all time. I think he would completely cement the title of best uh, defensive tackle of all time. I think that would hands down you have to give it to him if he wins another one. But, I mean, yeah, I agree. I do think he probably is regretting it. So, I think it's going to make this upcoming offseason pretty interesting to see if he actually does decide to call it quits. But um, now that I think about it, how many sacks does Aaron Donald have? Because, But I feel, cause I feel like it's going to be one of those things of if he feels like if he does shut it down, but he doesn't feel good about the numbers he put up, I could see him trying to come back as like a redemption year. But then again, I mean, he is Aaron Donald. He literally has nothing to prove. And by the way, he has five sacks. So I could see him coming back for one last ride, just hoping to kind of have a bounce back here and then riding off into the sunset. But all right, let's go ahead and move on our, to our takeaways from the week. Ethan, what you got at five? Takeaways from the week. Um, I also think number five, I think the Denver Broncos, they need to go into a similar mode of the Rams and kind of use this year and just mail it in. Potentially risk, risk Russell Wilson don't start him. Um, it, because if he is injured, it's definitely affecting his play. And we all know he's a guy that will play through injury. But if it's not leading to wins and it's frustrating the team, and I know, like, you don't accept Russell Wilson's slander, so I'm not about to slander him. But I think it's just, like, when you're used to seeing Russell play to the level that he's played in the past, and now he's struggling and, like, they can't score, I think it might be, and we know that he's come out with another injury in previous weeks, but I think it's just one of those things where it's like, hey, cut your losses, you're losing out this season, sit them down, let him get more familiar with the playbook and the offense from a mental standpoint and kind of keep it pushing and look forward to next season. 
while I do not accept Russell Wilson's slander, I will be the first person to say he is not playing to the level that we're used to. And you know what? I've also, the team has not been great, but also Russ has not been playing. Because, I mean, we've seen him on not great Seahawks team and still lead them to victory. I mean, we've seen him play on some terrible offensive lines, play with some bad defenses, and still somehow win double-digit games. So, this is not the best year from Russ, and of course that's my guy, and it sucks to see it. But he he definitely shoulders some of the blame as well, and especially as a quarterback. I mean, no matter really what happens, you're going to take the load. You're going to be held responsible for what happens. Even if you have a great game, if the team loses, it comes back on you. So, no, it's not, it's not a good look for my brother-in-law. I kind of – I don't want him to sit the rest of the year. I kind of would rather, especially because, I mean, you're paying this man over $230 million, like over 165 mil, I want to say fully guaranteed. Nah, bro, you're going to play. Now, if it gets down the stretch and you see him taking a lot of hits and you worry about his injuries, then, yeah, I get it. But with about, what, it's week 13, so it's still five more games, I think that he should play. Unless they want to rest him this week against Baltimore, I'm cool with that. My, my number five is it's time for Chase Claypool to show that he has wide receiver one material. As previously mentioned, Darnell Mooney is out for the year um, after suffering an injury against the Jets, which meant that even during that game, we saw some nice plays from Chase Claypool. Shows, he shows some of those flashes of excitement that he did in his early days in Pittsburgh. And I mean, now, let's be honest, even with Darnell Mooney healthy, the Bears receiving core is not one to be feared, but I think this is a perfect opportunity for Chase Claypool to step up and show he is the guy, especially once uh, Justin Fields gets back. Um, for me, my number four is what I think we're saying early. I don't, I'm trying to think what's the best way to put it. Are we seeing the early signs of the Jeff Saturday hiring being a bad decision? Um, this past game, they played the Steelers Monday night. Yeah, against the Steelers in a game that, from what I, I didn't watch it. I hadn't really had any opportunities to watch football at all this season, aside from occasional Titan game here or there. But from what I saw, it looked like it was a competitive game because the score looked kind of good. But one of the things that I like read, kind of just perusing through social media, is he made a crucial blunder where he should have called a timeout. Yeah. I think 
yes, I watched the game. He absolutely should have called timeouts because, I mean, it got – they played – the Colts' offense was horrible first half. They really started pulling together third um, to early fourth quarter, but not calling those timeouts did hurt. Kind of – not necessarily in defense of uh, Jeff Saturday, but it's easier when you're not in those situations to, to make those decisions. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, when you're on the outside looking in and you're a commentator, it's easy for you to be like, hey, call timeout, and you think it's that. But I'm sure coaches, they kind of have other things to think about or they're thinking about different philosophies and different scenarios that could play out and when they may need that timeout again. So I, I'm i not going to give them too much flack, but – yeah, he, he absolutely should have called those timeouts, though. Uh, my number four, if Trevor Lawrence can repeat Sunday's performance, the Jags are going to be a problem in the future. Easily, the best game I have seen from Trevor Lawrence came this Sunday because why would it not come against my favorite team? Um, I mean, threw for over 300 yards, no picks, had, I think, two, three touchdowns. I mean, he had a masterful performance. And like I said, the best one of his young career. And I think that... We keep hearing those flashes, and we keep hearing about, well, he's going to be this, and Trevor Lawrence is going to be that, but without much actual proof in the pudding. But Sunday was that example. So I think if the Jags can find a way to build on this and try to get him a good offensive line, get him time to make those throws, I think the Jags can have a chance to be really lethal in the future, especially being led by Doug Peterson. Um, This is what, my number two? Mm-hmm. Three. Number three. Number three, we're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers. Um, another another trend. I think the Packers should rest Aaron Rodgers for the rest of the season. Um, in a similar scenario, we've seen the footage of him coming out, saying that he's been playing with a broken thumb. Um, and you can see that he hasn't been himself. But this past Sunday against the Eagles, Joy Love came in, and he looked decent. From what I saw, um, from watching like highlights of the game, he looked that he was like a different quarterback, and I think it's one of those things right now when you're in a situation with Aaron Rodgers, like you stated numerous of times, you think he's going to retire after this season. So if you don't, if you don't necessarily know if he's going to be committed to you next season, I think you should take the time that you need right now to to do like I said for the Rams, develop Jordan Love more. Because if he has some proof that he has some, he could potentially be a franchise quarterback of the future. You should take some time right now to invest, in, especially when you're at a point of your season where nobody is expecting anything of your team anymore. Um, so yeah, I think they rest a rod, start doing moves, and even if he doesn't retire, maybe you can pull in a hog and trade Aaron Rodgers and help improve your team. Yeah, I'd agree with that with regards to Jordan Love playing really well. I mean, he has a start under his belt. He started that Chiefs game last year. And honestly, the what quarter and a half I saw from him on Sunday night topped anything I saw in that Chiefs game. I mean, he played really, really well, had a beautiful touchdown to Christian Watson. I mean, it's stuff like that where it's like, okay, maybe we do have something in Jordan Love as opposed to continuing to put Aaron Aaron Rodgers out there and not really going anywhere. So we'll get more on, like, should the Packers rest a Aaron Rodgers. But for now, I um I do feel you on that. I mean, Jordan Love looked really, really good. Um, My number three is I'm actually keeping things in the NFC North, and that's Jared Goff continues to buy himself some more time. 
Yes, the Bills won that game, but they were not the better team, at least not in my opinion. I think that the Lions put up one hell of a fight, but they also had Josh Allen rattled. They made a lot of great defensive plays early on, and, I mean, they kept themselves in it. And a big reason why they were able to keep themselves in it was because of the play of Jared Goff to over 240 yards, two touchdowns, really made some really good decisions, very accurate when throwing the ball. And, I mean, it seems like we heard it last year, should the Lions draft a quarterback. I mean, they had two first-round picks, and they didn't use either of them on a quarterback. And I think that facing that same situation this year, one could understand them doing it. But I do think that if Jared Goff continues to play this way, I see them kind of waiting it out on the quarterback or at least taking one maybe in the mid to late rounds and just continuing to see what they have in Jared Goff. Because, I mean, he hasn't been terrible. And maybe if they can get some better players in their secondary who can be able to stop guys and get Aiden Hudgens and some more help on that line. I mean, the Lions have a chance to be very competitive. And Jared Goff, because he's been there and he's used to those different environments as a veteran, maybe he could be the guy to do it. Yeah, I mean, you and I have absolutely talked about this. I know I mentioned it in one of my takeaways. What game was it? The uh, Vikings game. And it's just one of those things, like, I get it. Like, Josh Allen is kind of the golden boy, I think. Uh, on league-wide, I think he's kind of taking the place of Patrick Mahomes in that regard, which I still don't understand why, because Patrick Mahomes is still the much better quarterback. But it's still one of those things of, like, he has 14 turnovers this season. We don't talk about that. 
But Matt Ryan also has 14 turnovers, and he's getting talked about like a dog. And sure, you may want to say, well, Josh Allen has this many wins, and Matt Ryan has this many wins, blah, blah, blah. But when push comes to shove, I mean, Josh Allen is still turnover prone. He still is coughing the ball up at a big rate. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the Lions, and the Lions have been competitive. But with how good the Bills are and how much talent the Bills have in that team, it should not have had to come down to what? A field goal? That game should not have been as close as it was. And everybody knows it. And you can make that case for a lot of games that the Bills have lost. The Jets game, for example, the way that he played in that game was terrible. But we don't talk about it. So, no, you – Total agreement on you there. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not calling for everybody like bash player every player when they play bad, but just keep it fair. Like Lamar played. If Lamar would have played the way Josh Allen played on Thursday, he would have got crucified for it. Josh, um, what's his name? Jalen Hurts. He played a game similar to that. Got crucified for it. And so yeah, no. I just think if you're gonna call it, call it the same way for everybody, which unfortunately the league does not do. Uh, my number two. This is a guy who's been going under the radar, but a guy I've loved since since college. And that's the Raiders made a mistake trading Yadink Ngakwe. I understand you get the chance to get a great sack artist like Chandler Jones. But Yannick Ngakwe, in my opinion, is one of the most consistent F-pass rushers in the league and is also a bad, bad man. He has eight and a half sacks this season compared to Chandler Jones' half a sack and is also making significantly less money. The Raiders, they messed up because now looking back, that money that they paid Jones could have been, sorry, I can't even talk, could have went to getting their better offensive line, could have been to get their secondary better. And as you can see, yeah, the Colts aren't doing great overall, but Yannick is putting on some great numbers. So the Raiders really tripped in that regard. Um, my number one, it goes to the game that you mentioned from my staff for me earlier um, in the show. I think it's slowly starting to look like the Eagles and the Titans both won the trade of A.J. Brown. Um, obviously, the Eagles have won it because A.J. Brown has been phenomenal since he's been in Philly. But now the, now you're starting to see Traylon Burks develop and progress and blossom more. He's starting to set himself apart as the number one wide receiver in Tennessee. And he does have a similar skill set to A.J. Brown, but I think from the standpoint of what the Titans were looking for when they made the trade, which is to try to get a number one wide receiver at a cheaper price tag while they have the opportunity, I think it's starting to look like I still would have rather had A.J. Brown in Tennessee, but if Traylon Burks continues to develop and show the signs that he's been showing, and he reaches that potential, I'd be happy as a Titans fan. I got you. All right, uh, my number one, all of the Cardinals' problems can't be put on Cliff Kingsbury. I know a lot of the Kyler Murray talk yesterday came from the Patrick Peterson comments, which you and I talked about off-air. I mean, it's a bad look for Patrick Peterson. Um, But uh, Kyler Murray made some interesting comments following the Chargers game. Uh, when he was asked about an interception he threw on fourth and one, where he says, schematically, we were fucked. And essentially blaming Cliff Kingsbury for the pick. But it's like, nobody told you to throw that ball. Like, a coach can only do so much. The quarterback still is the one making the decisions. And is Cliff Kingsbury going to get fired after this year? Yeah, probably, because the Cardinals aren't going to make the playoffs. But 
I don't think it's fair that he is seen as kind of the scapegoat for this. Kyler Murray has not had a great year. The team overall is not constructed that great. I mean, you take D-Hop out of the equation, and you have a significantly worse-looking team. It has not been pretty. But because Cliff Kingsbury is the coach, and they just gave Kyler Murray all this money, which now I know everybody's talking about the contract that Russ got, but Kyler's contract is looking really bad too. It just kind of sucks that Cliff Kingsbury is going to be the one who gets outed and is facing most of the blame when really it's not all his fault. But that's life in the NFL. All right, let's go ahead and move on to a positive note, though. Our most impressive players. For me, offensively, it was easy. Running back Josh Jacobs had 33 carries for 229 yards and two touchdowns, including the 86-yard TD to win the game in overtime. I mean, he that man is definitely making him some money, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But Josh Jacobs is having a year. Uh, honestly, for me, my offensive player of the week is the same as that person. Like, and he's... It's funny because the only thing I hate about it is he can be he's been inconsistent this season, but when he goes off, he goes off. Yeah. So I gotta give it to Josh Jacobs. Yeah, and that man has absolutely been going off. Um, my most impressive defensive player, I touched on him a little bit ago, Yannick Ngakwe, had two sacks against the uh, Steelers for tackles. I mean, just having a quietly great year. Um, shoot, I'm trying to see. I just had him. Where is he? Okay, here we go. For me, defensive play. Wait, no, wrong guy. Where is it? I screenshotted this, so I can't remember. I had to do that too for my most disappointed player because he pissed me off on Sunday. Had a game. Let's see. Y'all, he had, had three tackles, two sacks, a forced fumble in the past breakup. Bad man. Been a bad man. Totally understand now why teams were offering a one uh, first round pick for him. And also can understand why the Panthers kept him. Uh, all right, my most disappointed player, obviously. Has to be a Baltimore Raven, and in this week, it's going to be Marcus Peters. Last couple of games, he give up some plays, but we will be cool. But against the Jags, he played like garbage. Allowed six catches on eight targets, 55 receiving yards, which that don't sound too bad, but he also gave up three touchdowns. You cannot do that in any game, especially for a team that wants to make the playoffs. So, yeah, me and Marcus Peters got beef. Um, for me, my disappointed player, it goes to the two, the front seven and O-line of the Tennessee Titans. Um, like, the Bengals shut down the run, and I can't put that on Derrick Henry because he didn't have any holes. And the defense just got 
overran, which is weird because the Titans are nor- normally always being one of the most physical defensive units in the NFL. So I got to go with those guys just because I also, I'm not going to lie, I love the Bengals. Like, I'm, I'm, I rock with Joe, Joe Cool. I rock with Jamar Chase. I rock with Joe Mixon. But for me, given the way that we lost to them last year in the playoffs, this is one of the games where I was like, this has to be a W just to, like, get that bad taste out of my mouth. And for them to kind of get manhandled in a loss, I got to go with those two units. No, I feel you on that because that's how I feel about the Bengals too after they kicked our butts in both games um, last year. So, I get it. All right, my rookie of the week. I'm going to show some HBCU love uh, to Lions linebacker James Houston in his first career NFL game. He had two sacks on Josh Allen. And the Bills offensive line isn't full of slouches. So, shout out to James Houston for having a big uh, debut. Yeah, my rookie is also James Houston. Because, like you said, his first game, Getting two sacks on Josh Allen, who we, my criticism aside for the way that people commentate and talk about him, we both know that he's one of the, he's probably the toughest quarterback to sack in the league. Yeah. Outside of so getting two sacks on him in your first game is definitely a major feat. Nah, most def. All right, let's go ahead and move on to league news. The uh, Kansas City Chiefs have been busy after uh, wide receiver. Uh, Wide receiver uh, Brian Edwards, former second-round pick, was released by the Atlanta Falcons. These Kansas City Chiefs decided to sign him and running back Melvin Gordon to their practice squad, so shout-out to them for getting a job. And the 49ers get a little bit more speed, despite it being a bit old in their secondary, as they sign veteran Janoris Jenkins. Now, let's talk about Josh Jacobs a bit more. As we all know, prior to the start of the season, the Raiders elected to decline his fifth-year option, making him a free agent after this year. While their plan was to bring him back, it's clear that he's going to command quite a bit of money. Um, prior to this past week's game, it was reported that the Raiders would like to re-sign Josh Jacobs to a two or three con two or three year contract focus more on incentives than base salary. However, Jacobs would like to resign with the Raiders, but also wants to test the open market to determine his value. If the Raiders were a franchise tag, it would cost him $12.6 million fully guaranteed, but they would like to avoid not doing that. However, with the way that Josh Jacobs has been playing, playing, do you think that the Raiders are going to be able to afford him? Yeah, he got drafted, what, 2017? I mean, I'm going to check, but I know he's still pretty young. Josh Jacobs is 24. He turned, yeah, he's only done turn 25 till uh, February, so he's still really young. So, yeah, he's really young. So, with that being said, I think having the season that he had, the only thing that I could see maybe hindering him from getting a big payday it's number one, obviously, the position that he plays is running back because it can get incredibly devalued. And he does have a little bit of an injury history yeah. um, in his young career. And with the thing is, with the way that he runs, because he runs violent and angry, like, that could be something that kind of makes teams leery. But it's also, like, when you see that level of production, um, like, you, it could be teams willing to go all out for that, like, 
trying to think of a team just off the top of my head. Like the Arizona Cardinals. They need it like, desperately. Yeah. And like when they when they were at their best last season, when people were thinking like, hey, this is a team that can make the playoffs, it wasn't just Kyler Merritt. Like James Conner was good for them last year. And he just hasn't been there this year. And that, I think that's a big part of what they're missing on offense is they need a good running game. Yeah. And if, like, I could see them making a big push, potentially, or maybe a couple of other teams. But I don't think the Raiders will because it's just one of those things where it's like somebody asks for a price tag that you're not willing to pay. You can always say, like, hey, well, we can go to the draft and find another job, Jacobs. Right. And unfortunately, like you mentioned, I mean, running backs kind of come a dime a dozen. Like, there are those maybe four or five, like, irreplaceable guys. But even saying it out loud, I don't even know if it's that many. But everybody, every other running back, I mean, you can still get another guy, like you said, through the draft or through free agency at a cheaper rate who can give you as much, if not more, production than the guy you already have starting. And Josh Jacobs, I mean, he's having a hell of a year. But like I mentioned with the Raiders, like they have money tied up in so many other positions. You know, I mentioned Taylor Jones, Derek Carr, if he stays, Devontae Adams, of course. Um, they just pay Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, like looking at and Max Crosby. Like they have so much money spread out that they really may not be able to give him what he wants. And I mean, I think the days of like running backs making over what 14, 15 mil a year are over unless the market changes or there's like another crazy productive guy out there. But I don't I don't think the Raiders going to be able to do it. Personally, I love if Baltimore did it, but if you had to ask me about making a splash in free agency or keeping a guy like Roquan Smith, I'm taking Roquan Smith every day. But it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some other league news. Pretty safe to say that Jimmy G is reasserting himself as the guy in San Francisco, but what does that mean for Trey Lance? In a recent interview, uh, 49ers legend Steve Young spoke on Jimmy G and said, I don't want Jimmy around here for the next few months. I want him around here for the next 10 years. That's all nice and dandy, but what does that mean for Trey Lance? So, Ethan, let's say you're John Lynch, you're Kyle Shanahan, you're sitting in that office, and you have to make a decision this offseason. Do you extend Jimmy G to a long-term contract and then more than likely trading away Trey Lance, or do you thug it out with Trey Lance and see what the future holds? I'm understanding I'm, I'm Jimmy G, and the reason is because it's like, yes, Jimmy G isn't the sexy pick at quarterback, but the reality of it is with the 49ers, he's a winner. Like, since he's been there, I think every year he's been there, he's made the playoffs. Or he might have missed it maybe once or twice. Um, and he fits the offensive scheme of their team. Like, the 49ers, they aren't the team that's going to throw the ball all around the yard. Like, they want to play physical football. They want to run the football. They want to play defense. And especially now when you when you get a guy like Christian McCaffrey, if he if he's able to stay healthy, he can provide some more explosion and versatility to their offense. Um, so I will go Jimmy G simply because we don't like given the nature of Trey Lance's inexperience in a big time program or even really just experience playing in college and football in general. I don't want to bank the rest of my future of my franchise on that. 
because you can look up in a year from now and you're like, oh, we're going to get rid of Trey Lance. I'd rather keep the more proven commodity that's shown that he can lead this locker room and lead this team. A guy that has made it to the Super Bowl and to an NFC Championship game. Like, I'd rather keep that instead of going with somebody that I don't know. Like, I'm not, sometimes I'm pro potential over proving. And other times I'm pro proving over potential. And right now I'm proving over potential with Jimmy G. That's fair. I mean, maybe I'm a sap, but I think I would go Trey Lance. The reason I say that is because I think that the way that the 49ers are constructed, I think that they're a team that given give Trey Lance a bit more time to kind of grow and develop. And I think that this team can honestly carry him until he's ready to kind of help carry the load. I mean, Christian McCaffrey still until Debo, George Kittle. Um, Elijah Mitchell, when he's healthy, has been pretty good. Not to mention they have a great front seven defensively. And I think that, yes, the early returns on Trey Lance this season weren't great necessarily, but I do think that, one, it saves money to keep Trey Lance because he's still on his rookie deal. And, two, I mean, who's to say Jimmy G's not going to come back next year, come back later this season or, like, whip crap the bed like he did. For example, in the NFC Championship this past year, he played terrible. And, of course, everybody lost their minds. Everybody was ragging on Jimmy G. Jimmy G needs to be traded, blah, blah, blah. And, sure, he gets you those moments in the regular season. That's great. But in the playoffs, we see such a big drop-off from Jimmy G to where he is getting carried by other guys. And I think that by getting Trey Lance, I mean, you can essentially do the same thing but do so in a cheaper way. Plus, I like Trey Lance. I I think that we should – I think he deserves a shot, more of a chance. And, I mean, sure, the proven is better than the potential right now for sure. I don't doubt that. But I think that Trey Lance deserves more than just being tossed aside this soon. But – you know, the NFL, he probably, he already knows his job is gone, probably. But right, let's go ahead and move on to Mr. Sean Payton. Now, we kind of talked about at the top of the show, former Saints coach for a long time. He's he's currently working for Fox, but there is a chance that he could find his way back sooner rather than later. Um, but... In a recent interview uh, with ESPN, he discussed some teams that he thought could potentially be solid fits. For example, the Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Chargers. Peyton was connected to both openings because of the quarterback situations and the fact that they are stable. Any team who would be interested in him would have to go through New Orleans to get compensation for him because he is technically still under contract with the franchise. But Ethan, let's say you're Sean Payton and Brandon Staley and Cliff Kingsbury get fired. Which spot is more appealing to you, L.A. or Arizona? Chargers, hands down. Tight end, but you can potentially draft the tight end. But the thing that 
makes me more excited from this from this aspect with the Chargers is the other side of the ball. Like the Chargers on paper, when healthy, they have a lot of good talent on defense. And we know yes, Sean Payton is an offensive guru, but he's also coached some really good defensive teams as well. And I think that if you're able to potentially put him in that locker room and he like takes the offense under his wing and just the gravity of his name to bring in a really good defensive coordinator and you put that defense on the path that they are supposed to be on, the talent that they have, like that's a really scary pairing in my opinion. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. I mean, I've kind of not necessarily ragged on the Cardinals in recent weeks, but I mean, I, I'm kind of seeing through the BS. I don't think they're as good as they were kind of made out to be before the season even started, and that that's really showing right now. And I think that with the Chargers, if yes, they are disappointing because they did come in with a lot of expectations, especially with all the free agent and offseason moves that they made. But I mean, they're still technically in playoff contention. And I mean, when you have a guy like Justin Herbert who is – I think it's safe to say he's top 10 quarterback. I don't love Justin Herbert as much as everybody else. Like, I still don't understand how people think that Joe Burrow is not better than Justin Herbert. That's a whole other conversation. But, I mean, he's still amazing. Keenan Allen, when healthy, is great. Same for Mike Williams. Um, defense, as you mentioned, is just top notch. And I think that that really kind of fulfills the skill sets uh, that Sean Payton has had in the past. And I think especially because you got so many of those guys locked up. And I didn't even mention Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler is one of the most explosive running backs in the league today. And so with that being said, I think that for me, it would be easy. I get the potential of a Kyler Murray and, you know, you get to play with D-Hop, etc. But I just wouldn't want to deal with the drama in Arizona. I think that L.A., sure, it's a lot more pressure because of the division you're playing in and you're being in L.A. But still, I mean, the Chargers just seem like a great job to have. So, Brandon Staley, I hope he pulls it together because if not, I'm sure that front office will gladly replace him with Sean Bay- Payton if given the opportunity. All right, let's go ahead and move on to one more piece before we play our game of believable and buffoonery. And it comes from good old Lamar Jackson, who, after the game against the Jaguars, he was pretty upset, and rightfully so, uh, because, of, like I said, team lost. But he ended up getting into it with a fan, which, of course, caused some media attention. Uh, following the game, a fan tweeted, when someone is asking for over $250 million f- guaranteed like Lamar Jackson, games like this should not come down to Justin Tucker. Let Lamar walk and spend that money on a well-rounded team. Mr. Jackson took umbrage to that and said, boy, STFU, y'all be capping too much on this app. MF never smelt a football field, never did shit but eat dick. Honestly, I didn't think it was that bad. However, now, I don't know if you saw it, but the way ESPN framed it and other outlets framed it as he made an anti-gay slur and it was so obscene. And, of course, Lamar deleted the tweet immediately. He and John Harbaugh, quote-unquote, had a conversation about it and uh, John Harbaugh apologized for Lamar's action, blah, blah, blah. Personally, I don't think what he said was that big of a deal, But you know how the media is today. People are very sensitive. Do you think that the criticism and flack that Lamar is getting is fair? You already know my answer. No. Like, being honest, he didn't. The only thing I can say he's wrong for is is letting the fan get to him, that rattle, and go on on Twitter. 
He said the N word at that uh, country concert. his job but he didn't get signed i think he was going into free agency anyway and he nobody yeah. picked him up No, it's really not that deep. Um, of like I said, of course Lamar is frustrated after the loss, and I mean, what got me was people trying to say it was an anti-gay slur. Like, no, it's not. It has nothing to do with sexuality. It's literally just saying, like, like you said, like you're you're quarterbacking on the couch. You don't even know what you're talking about. To be fair, though, I'm not gonna lie to you. When I read the tweet, part of me did. Un- I did. Dude had a point. Because we should, that game should not have come down to a 67-yard field goal, all I'm saying. But in the case of Lamar, like, nah, it's really not that deep. But unfortunately, like, in the age of social media, like, you really, everything you say is going to be ostracized and put under the spectrum. And it's just like, come on now. Like, I don't think it's that deep. I'm happy it hasn't gotten too, too big where, like, Roger Goodell is saying something or people are calling for his suspension. But it's still like, yo, this ain't this isn't even a conversation. Let it go. Like there there are much bigger problems than LeBron. I mean not LeBron, than Lamar telling somebody to shut up and eat a dick. Like, get out of my face. But let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. Now, speaking of much bigger issues than Lamar's tweet, Deshaun Watson comes back for the Cleveland Browns, making his first official start. In nearly two years, which means the time for Jacoby Brissett as the Browns starter has come to an end. However, he says that he should be getting another starting job soon. He said, I'm a starting quarterback in this league. I can confidently say that. I mean, he wasn't terrible uh, leading the Browns through the first 11 games. They went four and seven. Like I said, most recently beat the Bucks, which is cool. 
but believable or buffoonery. Jacoby Brissett will be a starting quarterback next season. Um, Excluding no. an injury, like starter outright. Okay, yeah, I was going to say no, too. No. It, like, it was something um, I was listening to somebody talk about him on the radio, and they said, and they, I think it's one of the perfect analogies for Jacoby Brissett. They was like, he's not one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's somewhere between 35 and 40. Yeah. Like, he, he's good enough to be in a situation like this where if your star is down, he can hold, he can um, stay in the shield while he's out. But he's not an outright starter. It wasn't impressive enough to be like, yo, I wouldn't mind Jacoby Brissett starting for my team. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if I didn't have Lamar Jackson as my quarterback, like, I don't think he's that great. He's fine. And he had – he was serviceable. He did mostly what they needed him to do. But, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that. Continuing on with the conversation of quarterbacks, we got to go to New York because uh, Mike White is making some waves following his great performance against the Bears. Richard Sherman said that Mike White should be the Jets' fresh rise quarterback. He said, I'm a production guy. Mike White has production. If we look, if we took everything away and swapped the stories of Zach Wilson and Mike White, it was Mike White drafted number two, and he was playing this well, and his teammates were saying this about him. You'd be like, hey, they made the right pick. They've got a franchise guy. To be fair, Mike White did put on a show um, on Sunday. He is the only Jets quarterback to have multiple 300-plus yard passing yards and 300 uh, passing touchdowns in the same game uh, in the last 30 years. I'm calling buffoonery on Mike White being the franchise guy in New York, but, I mean, it does put the fear of God in the guy like Zach Wilson because he finds out and sees that he is replaceable, but I'm not giving him the keys to the franchise, no. Uh, I'm I'm calling buffoonery as well. I think Mike White is definitely an improvement over Zach Wilson, especially in this portion of Zach Wilson's career. When I think of franchise quarterback, I think of guys that if everything else goes wrong, you can still win the game. Right. Like, when I when that comes to my mind, obviously Patrick Mahomes, um, Aaron Rodgers, well, kind of. In the past. In the past. But he's proven that he can be that guy. Um, uh, Joe. I 
I don't think so either. And, I mean, he's also incredibly inconsistent. Like, he had a great game last year. Was that against the Bengals? I think it was the Bengals game. But then the next game, he played like dirt. Like, it's no in-between. Like, if he – now, if he was playing like this every week, then sure. But, I mean, two great games, I don't think that makes you an NFL starter. You got to come better than that. All right, we're going to take a brief respite from the Jets to take things to the Big Easy and talk Michael Thomas, who, as we all know, has been hurt a lot. But, I mean, when he has been healthy, everybody knows that he is a very productive player. Well known by the moniker of Slant Boy, Michael Thomas took to Twitter to dispute those comments, to which he said, ninjas, well, you know, he wanted to say, tried to call me Slant Boy because their favorite corner couldn't stop it if they don't if you don't get out of here y'all ninjas really sick i'm going to make y'all mad this time came back rarely ran one slot one slant and ninja still couldn't do nothing when the ball was in the air quit playing with my name this game is sweet um that's all nice it's great you can talk stuff but he's only played 12 games in the past three years so personally i don't really think corners are that worried about him anymore I haven't seen any reason to worry, but believable or buffoonery, Michael Thomas should still be considered one of the top receivers in the league when healthy. Heck no. Because, like, no. He, I think he could be a very valuable piece to, like, even New Orleans, but he's definitely not a top wide receiver anymore. Like, I can think of right now, I can name 30 wide receivers that I probably would take over Michael Thomas. You know, no, I felt that. In the three games he played this year, here's what he did. Uh, against Atlanta, 57 catch, I mean, 57 yards, two touchdowns, good game. Uh, 65 yards and a touchdown against the Bucks, and then 49 yards against the Panthers. So he wasn't having bad games, but it's still like you could do better. And there's other receivers doing better. Like, I understand being called slant boy is annoying or whatever, but if any, at least they're calling you something because people could easily just forget about you because you haven't played. And I always say the best ability is availability, and you have not been available. But, I mean, he also did sign a $100 million contract with the Saints, so they kind of on the hook. They stuck with him. But for me, nah, I don't – I disagree. I don't think he's – I agree with you. I mean, I don't think he's – Still a top wide receiver. I don't know if I could say 30 wide receivers better than him when healthy, but he's definitely not in my top 10 or 15. Bet, let's go. I got you. I'm counting right now. Justin Jefferson. Obviously. Right. Jamal Chase. Okay. Cooper Cup. Right. Devontae Adams. Yep. Dee-Dee Yep. AJ Brown. Yep. Uh, shoot, I'm here with. You were at seven. Seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Boyd. Yeah. DK. DK. Tyler Lockett. Yeah, I'd take Tyler Lockett. Okay. That's uh, ten. What's his name? Got you. DJ Moore. Yep. Uh, right now, I say Traylon Burks. I'm going to say that's a stretch, but okay. 
I'll take him off. Okay. okay. No, no Traylon Burks. Okay. Uh, Adam Thielen. Yep. Uh, Hunter Renfro. Dang, that's that's cold blooded. Okay, fourteen. Hey, he he might not be a star, but he'll star in his role. Now I take this. Not this season, but before, yes. No, you did not say D Hop. D Hop. Uh, I say Amari Cooper. I throw Amari Cooper in there. Yeah, Amari Cooper, Hollywood Brown. Uh, I don't know about Hollywood, but okay. Nah, I take Hollywood on. You ain't say Keenan Allen yet. Or Mike Williams. Right. Tyreek Hill, even though he's a terrible human being. Dang. All right, so right now we are at 21. All right, 21. So, oh, Gabe Davis. Yeah. Uh, I just had somebody in my mind. Um, Debo. Debo Samuel. Yeah, Debo. I ain't going to lie. Uh, I might take Brandon Ayuko right now. Okay. Trying to be realistic. Uh, I said oh, he's hurt, but I would take um, what's your receiver? Avery Duvernay. Oh, um, yeah. the one who's hurt is Rashad Bateman. Yeah, Rashad. Uh, I'll take him. What's the other one? Devin Duvernay. Yeah, I'll take him over Mike. All right, twenty six. Okay, all right. All right, so we had 26. Shoot, let me think, let me think. Our receivers in the Oh, Juju. Okay. Uh, I ain't gonna lie. Gary Wilson. Okay. I asked him to take Chris Olave off of Michael Thomas right now, too. All right, you got one more. Well, that's 30. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I think I got a couple more. Okay. Uh, Amon Ross and Brown. Uh, dang it. What's his name? Uh, Brandon Cooks. Yeah. 31. Uh, um, yeah, that's all. I mean, 30, you did 31. I don't agree with every one of them, but it's definitely saying, yeah, he's not in the top 20. For sure. Even healthy. So, yeah. 31 wide receivers. Well, Michael Thomas, I think that pretty much uh, sums up how people feel about you. All right. Last piece before we make our game picks. And we're going back to New York. And we are going to talk Sauce Gardner, who has had a terrific rookie season. So great that his teammate, DJ Reed, said if they did the draft over again, he'd probably be the number one overall pick. Friendly reminder for those of you who forgot, because Loki, I kind of forgot too. Trevon Walker, uh, line, uh, I guess he was technically a defensive end out of Georgia, was the first overall pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Quietest first round pick I've seen in recent years. But believable or buffoonery, in a draft redo, Sauce Gardner would go number one. Yeah. I mean, he's had, like, the season that he's had as a rookie, he could go down as, like, being the best corner of the season so far. And I definitely, especially a team like Jacksonville, 
that is already taking a generational corner really high, I definitely can see them doing it again. Uh, he is balling. He's having a terrific year. It's just when I look at Jacksonville's problems, it's like which is worse, their pass rush or their secondary? And when I look at it like that, it's like they could really use Aiden Hutchinson. But I, I, I think I'll go be- believable. I mean, you can never have too many great players in your secondary and getting a guy like uh, Sauce Gardner would definitely be an upgrade. So I'm, I'm going to say believable too. All right, next up, making our game pick, starting with tonight's game between the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots. I got Bills. I got Bills. All right, this you're, uh, the game that matters the most to you, I'm guessing. Tennessee Titans versus the Philadelphia Eagles. I got Eagles. I'm going to be realistic. I have Eagles. Green Bay Packers versus the Chicago Bears. Death taxes and Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears. I got Packers. Fair. You say you got Bears? I mean, I got the Packers. Oh, okay. I was going to say what? All right. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Detroit Lions. I think this is going to be a scoring frenzy, but I'm going to go Jags because I'm expecting Tra- Travis Etienne to play more. Yeah, I'm going Jags because I think, I think we're about to see um, Trevor Lawrence make this, like, progressively to be the player that everybody thought he was going to be. About time. All right. Next up. <sighs> Cleveland Browns versus the Houston Texans. I got Browns. I got Texans because screw Deshaun Watson. Nah, because for real though. All right, next up we have the New York Jets versus the Minnesota Vikings. This will be a fun one, but I got Vikings. I got Vikings. All right, next up, Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Atlanta Falcons. This is kind of tough, but I think I'm going to go Steelers. Baltimore Ravens versus the Denver Broncos. Russ, I love you. I would I wouldn't be mad if you had an awesome game. I just need you to lose. I got Baltimore. Uh yeah, I got Baltimore as well. Washington Commanders versus the New York Giants. I got Commanders. I got Commanders. Miami Dolphins versus the San Francisco 49ers in a game that I think is gonna be a banger. I'm gonna go Dolphins though. I'm definitely Seattle Seahawks versus the Los Angeles Rams. I got Seahawks. Uh, yeah, I got Seahawks. Los Angeles Chargers versus the Las Vegas Raiders. I got Chargers. Uh, yeah, I got Chargers. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm very excited for this game. I think Chiefs win, but Jamar Chase is now he's expected to come back this week, and you know he is. The uh, Chiefs' daddy, so I think it's gonna be another high-scoring game. Still got Chiefs going. I'm going to put the uh, asterisk. If Jamar comes back, I have the Chiefs. I mean the Bengals. Okay. If he doesn't, I have the Chiefs. Fair. Uh, next up, Sunday Night Football in a game that should have been flexed out, but whatever. The Colts versus Cowboys. I got Cowboys. And Monday Night Football, probably one of the most fun robberies in the league right now. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New Orleans Saints. I think for the second straight year, the Bucks get the sweep. Wait, did they sweep yeah. the Saints last year? I think they did. I don't remember. Either way, I'm going Bucks. I got Bucks as well. 
All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookies we are watching this week. For me, offensively, I'm watching Tua Tonga-Vailoa. I mean, I picked the uh, Dolphins to win because I do think that their receiving core and their offense is going to be a bit too much uh, for that 49ers secondary to handle. But, I mean, he's going to be facing a lot of pressure from that 49ers front seven, so I'm interested to see how he's going to hold up. I wonder if he's probably going to be matched up more with, well, no, nah, because Jimmy Ward going to have to be in coverage, so they're probably going to have Fred Warner on him. That will be fun. Uh, my defensive player is Sauce Gardner. I'm interested to see the matchup between him and my main man, Jay Jettas. Of course, my money's always going to be on Jay Jettas, but I'm interested to see what the rookie can do. Coming from that game, though, my rookie to watch is Traylon Burks. You mentioned how you felt like it was a win-win trade for both sides. This is the perfect time for Traylon Burks to show why he was brought in to be that number one wide receiver. We know A.J. Brown is going to do his thing on the other side, but Traylon Burks has to be able to have a really good game to make the Titans competitive because this isn't going to be a game where they're just going to be able to pound the rock with Derrick Henry all night. they got to be able to make some plays through the air, and Traylon Burks going to have to be a part of that. Do. Facts. Oh, it's going to be fun. And the team I'm calling out, the Texans. I know I picked Jody Lose. I know y'all have one win on the year. But you know how we both feel about Deshaun Watson. I don't want Deshaun Watson to win anything, especially in his first game back. So, Texans, handle your business. I don't care if you lose every other game besides this one. I'm, I'm calling y'all out for this week. Deshaun Watson. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Kicking things off with our Mamba Players of the Week. Out of the Eastern Conference, who you got? We're actually in agreements. I also had Jason Tatum. All right, who's your Western Mamba of the Week? And three quarters. 
Yeah, we are two for two. I also got D book. Who's your rookie Mamba? Rookie Mamba is obvious. Paulo, he's back, and the minute he came back from injury, he's back to dropping twenty and like seven and six. All right, this is where we differ. I actually got Benedict Mathburn. I mean, Mathurin, I'm sorry. He's putting on a show, I mean, in recent games. I mean, you had him as your rookie mama last week, and he's really been able to carry over that success to this week. But all right, let's go ahead and do our top three takeaways of the week. Ethan, what you got at number three? Top three takeaways. Um, is are we finally seeing the final, the, the reality of the final form of Zion? He almost is my player of the week, month of the week for the West, if it wasn't for me remembering what Devin Booker did. Um, he didn't have a great game against the Grizzlies, which I was somewhat upset about because I specifically went to that game to watch him. Um, but in this game against the Raptors, he had 33 points, 10 rebounds, and like five assists. And just the way that he was moving, and I saw that he did game when he came to Memphis, but to be that big and to move the way that he was moving and to jump the way that he jumped, like, it was freaky. It's like, you're looking at a superhero, and for him to get progress and get to the point now where he's starting to look, I think he's looking better than he did in the other previous seasons where he was dominating still, but he's looking like if he's able to stay healthy and keep stay on his trajectory, he could be like a top 10 player by the end of the season if he keeps up with what he's doing. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. All right, my takeaway comes from the desert, and the Suns are proving that they don't need CP3. I mean, don't get me wrong, Chris Paul, future Hall of Famer, one of the best point guards in NBA history, but, I mean, the Suns have really been on a roll. I believe last night marked their sixth straight win. Of course, D-Book is balling, campaigns having some solid games. I mean, just overall, just team effort has been through the roof. And I think the Suns are really showing that whenever CP3 does eventually retire or leave or whatever he ends up deciding to do, I think that the Suns are still going to be one of those contenders. the game was 17 they still won by 20 Josh was about to have 
finish. He was. He didn't finish with fifty, or he was real close to fifty, right? I think he did. I think he did finish. Was it fifty-one? Some. Some really close to it. But yeah, no, it's um their defense is non-existent. No, you're absolutely right. It's rough. Um, my number two is it's actually about the Rockets too, and it's patience is going to be a virtue with Jabari Smith. I mean, early in going in his rookie year, I'm not gonna say he did nothing, but it felt like he was doing nothing, especially by comparison when you look at what other rookie guys were doing, such as Paolo or Jaden Ivey. But, I mean, as of late, Jabari Smith has kind of been getting it going. And he mentioned that the transition to the NBA has been hard. And, I mean, rightfully so. The NBA is the best players in the world um, coming together. But, I mean, the Rockets are bad, and they're very young. But I do think that, at least in the case of Jabari Smith, I think that the potential is there. It may not really show itself this year, but it's coming. Just be patient. My Yeah, I think you 
you really hit it on the head because yeah i did watch that luca video and i mean luca is definitely probably one of the biggest examples of that like the inconsistency with calls and i mean of course we see it around the league as well but i mean it is especially under the guise of luca is really really bad um, my number one is, speaking of Luca, one of his former teammates, Christos Porzingis is quietly having one of, if not the best year of his career. I mean, you and I kind of discussed, you know, Christos and when he was in Dallas. Um, but since being traded to the Mavericks, I'm not Mavericks, the, the Wizards, I mean, he's been, he's quietly been balling. Dropped 27 last night, night before had 41. I mean, has really been going on a tear. Essentially is looking like a double-double monster for most of the year, averaging 21.6, 8.7 boards. I mean, and he's shooting really well from the field, almost 50%, and shooting 38% from three. And I know that nobody's going to look at Christos Porzingis or really anybody not named Bradley Beal in Washington and see a star, but Christos is – Shout out to Kristaps. He's he's doing his thing over there. It may not really amount to much because I don't think the Warriors are really going to do anything, but he's really kind of showing some of those flashes and excitement that he did when he was in New York. So props to him. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some roster news. A few weeks ago, we discussed whether or not we believed if um, Kimball Walker was going to get signed before the end of the year, and the Dallas Mavericks did just that. They signed Kimba. Uh, I don't think he's going to start, or at least not immediately. But what do you feel like Kimba brings to the team, and do you think that this is an opportunity for him to bounce back? Uh, to answer the second question, I do think this is an opportunity for him to bounce back because he's on a team, and he's signed. What do I think he's going to bring? I think that's going to be up in the air. Um because it's like, what is his health looking like? What is his, what are his needs looking like? If he's healthy um, and he's in shape and condition, I think you can look up and you can see Kimball being a guy that can score 15 off the bench for the Mavs. Um, and he can do some of the things similar to Jalen Brunson where if he can play off Luka because, yes, we know Kimball does need, have to have the ball in his hands, but he also can spot up and shoot. And so I think it's a – but if he's not healthy and he doesn't have that, like, quick tweets kind of – because he wasn't an explosive leaper. No. But Kimball is super quick. And if he isn't – if he doesn't have that quickness to where he can get past people and set up his step back, then I think he might – it might have been a bad move. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. I – I do think that, well, one, getting any opportunity is great. And, I mean, the Mavericks have kind of just been searching and pining for somebody else to kind of step up and be that next guy to Luka. I don't necessarily think it's going to be Kimba, but I do think that he does have that potential, especially if he can stay healthy, provide a nice spark off the bench. But I don't. I think the days of Kimba kind of being a, a, a lead scorer and putting up 25-plus in consecutive games, I think those days are over. But like you said, I could see a solid 15 off the bench. I think that he could do that pretty well and at least be able to have a job for the rest of the year because, unfortunately, he hasn't really been able to hold one down. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some injury news. Quite a few uh, things to talk about. First off, 
not that surprising. Um, after suffering a calf strain, Ben Simmons is going to be out for the next three games. Hopefully, he'll actually be able to come back after that. But, you know, it's hard to tell with him. Uh, the Hornets got a verbal lashing from Gordon Hayward's wife um, after he suffered a fractured shoulder, which apparently the team made him play on. She, um, she recently took to Twitter and said, uh, he's playing with a fractured fibu I mean scapula, and they made him play the last game. That was why he couldn't move his arm up last game. I'm over them not protecting their players. Uh, Hayward is a guy who has well-known track record for injury. Suffered a really bad ankle injury as a member of the Boston Celtics that required him to miss games, and ever since then he hasn't played more than 52 games in a season. So, I mean, I think. <sighs> I can believe that the Hornets are trying to force him, not force him, but they are encouraging him to play. But I don't think it's one of those things where it, I feel like it's probably more of Gordon Hayward probably wanted to play as and try to see if he can play on it as opposed to the Hornets trying to force him to. Right. Like, I've, we've heard stories of athletes saying, like, hey, they knew they were hurt, but the team doctors told them no. Right. Um, and we've also heard stories of doctors telling players, like, nah, bro, you hurt, and you're pushing them out. Yes, I think, I, I think it's somewhere in the middle where it's like, I think the doctors might have told him, like, you can play on them. And because of that, and because of his injury history, he also might have been like, well, you know, I'm going to give him a shot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could feel that. I mean, I just think that it's just tough. I mean, especially with a guy like Gordon Hayward, you would think because he has suffered so many injuries that, like, he does know his body. And he knows when something isn't right, hence why he's missed so many games over the course of his career. But, yeah, I could see it being somewhere in the middle. I mean, it does suck for both sides because, one, if you're the Hornets, it makes it look like you're kind of forcing your guys and making them put their health at risk, especially this early in the season. Like, this would be the perfect time for them to rest. But on the other side, for Gordon Hayward, not to say he's making it, his wife is making excuses for why he played bad, but, I mean, still, it's it's a bad look. All right, uh, moving on to even bigger injury news. Carl Anthony Towns, after suffering a non-contact injury earlier in the week, it was announced that he's going to miss the next four to six weeks with a right calf strain. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't seem like he'll be able to make a full recovery until sometime in January, and that's if everything goes right. Ethan, I know how you feel about the Timberwolves, and they did just win their last game against the Grizzlies without Cat on the court, but how big of a loss do you think it is not having him in tow? I think it's a big loss because of the skill set that Carl Anthony Towns has. Right. Um, when you're a guy that's seven foot, you can shoot the ball the way you can shoot the ball. You can put the ball on the court and like drive and make plays off the dribble. And this season, he's shown to be a better passer than he has in previous years. Like I definitely think you're going to miss that. Um, and you know. Like I said, I, I'm not a car in the town. I'm not a Timberwolves fan. And this was before they got into it with the, like Memphis in the playoffs, and it just kind of uh, expanded from that. But like, I think they are going to miss him too because of his production. But I think 
it might help them play better from the aspect of like now they are going to have two seven footers kind of in the paint offense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, they tried to go the big ball route, and I mean, well, big body route, and I mean, that makes sense if it works. And so far, it's kind of been hit or miss in terms of the returns and how much it's been working. So I think that now they'll really get a chance to see Rudy do what he does best and, you know, kind of command in the paint. And it's like you said, you're going to miss that skill set that he provides, but I do think that this has a chance to really – kind of work to the Timberwolves' benefit because it'll allow guys like Ant to really step up and then Rudy will be in a role he's much more comfortable with. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of Believable or Before We both mentioned that uh, our Western Mamba of the Week was D-Book, and rightfully so. However, he doesn't exactly see himself in the MVP race. Following the game, he was asked about it and said, I'm not even in the MVP race. I just let these people say what they want like, bro, I focus on hoops only. So far this year, he's averaging 27.9 points per game, 5.4 rebounds, and 5.8 assists. And he has led the Suns to the best record in the Western Conference without Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, and Cam Johnson. Believable or buffoonery, D-Book should be in the MVP conversation. Yeah, you and I are in agreement. Um, I think he should be in it. But like you said, like I don't think he should be like in the top part of it. Mainly because yes, he the Suns are winning. But it's like it feels like more of a team effort overall. Like I don't think it's not just D Book doing it by himself. It's not like a Luca situation where every night D Book is putting up these crazy numbers and putting his team in a position to win. And I honestly, even before, had it not been for the 51-point game he just had, I don't think anybody would even be talking about him in the D-book, I mean, the MVP conversation right now. So, and I don't expect him to keep putting on games like that, not because he can't do it, but just because the way that the Suns are run. I, it's kind of a rarity now. And so it's not a situation where he has to do any and everything for the team to have success, like prior to Monty Williams taking over. And CP3 joining. So, I'm going to say believable, like, but like you, I don't think it's going to be. I, I think he's, like, on the bottom half of the of the candidates. 
But all right, let's go ahead and move on. Following the uh, the San Antonio Spurs hosting the Los Angeles Lakers, it was actually pretty cool that the Spurs gave Lonnie Walker a tribute video. I don't think he's done anything to warrant one, but go off, I guess. But following the game, AD admitted he kind of felt a little some type of way about it and said that he wished he got one of those tribute videos whenever the, he first returned to New Orleans as a member of the Laker. Throughout his time as a Pelican, he did average 23.7 points per game, 10.5 rebounds, 2.4 blocks, also went to the playoffs with them. Believable or buffoonery, the Pelicans should have given AD a tribute video. Um, no. I don't think so either. Of course. AD, you you were a good, a really, really good player for the Pelicans, but you didn't have any real significance from a standpoint of like y'all made the playoffs with twice, and one of the playoffs y'all got put out by the Trailblazers, when everybody thought y'all were going to them. So, nah. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that as well. I just think like. Like I said, with Lonnie Walker, like, the criteria just feels lessened. And I'm sure every team has its own thing. But it's like, even during his time there, yeah, AD was good, but he didn't do anything for it. Like, he didn't make them astronomically better. Like, he made the playoffs a couple times, but that's really it. Like, you put up great numbers, but it didn't really do much for it. So, I'm in agree with you. I'm saying buffoonery as well. Still don't know why Lonnie got one, but, I mean – Go off. Y'all like it. I love it. All right. Last but not least, Charles Barkley has some pretty interesting comments regarding Shy Gilgis Alexander um, in the All-Star game. He messed up the name, but he did make a point. He said, if Shy Alexander Gilchrist is not starting in the All-Star game, we're not going to let the public vote ever again. Like I said, he did mess up SGA's name, but he does have a point with regards to uh, the season that Shy has been having. So this is a two-parter. Believable or buffoonery, Shy will be a starter at the All-Star game. And then believable or buffoonery, if he is not a starter, should the NBA do away with the public vote or the fan vote? Yeah. I mean, we've seen this several years. Like, I think it was last year when Clay was hurt. Like, because of the fan vote, Clay was like 15th in voting for the All-Star game. He had never even touched the court. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't think he will. But And it'll be difficult because it's like he's been really good. Um, to answer the second question, as far as the fan vote, should it be removed? I think I was just appeared from two ways. If you remove it, then I think the justified people that are justified and deserve to make the starting lineup will actually make the starting lineup and it'll be good to see. But then I also still think it'll be a popularity contest. It just won't be the masses of people voting for players. It'll end up being situations where like guys that put up good status but have a bigger name still might end up being picked. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things where if you take away the fan vote, 
it's literally just going to be the same players all the time. And I think that that's not going to be fun because then it's going to like, well, what's the criteria to get in? So to answer the second question, I'm going to say buffoonery. I don't think they should take it away. Maybe the fans shouldn't determine the starters per se, but I do think that they should be able to determine like who makes it. Because, I mean, you kind of have to have that fan involvement in there at some point. But the first question is uh, I don't think he's going to be a starter. Should he be a starter? For sure. But I just don't think he ends up getting it, mainly just because, like, it is a popularity contest. And, I mean, he's putting up terrific numbers. But, I mean, it's not like Thunder fans are out in full force. Like, they're very rare, especially with all the turnover that the team has had over the years. So, I don't think he ends up being a starter. But I think he for sure deserves to be there. But, all right, there's only one game to predict tonight. And that is the Dallas Mavericks heading to Detroit to face the Pistons. I got Mavs. What about you? All right, let's go ahead and move on to my Survivor Series War Games recap. Now it's time to recap Survivor Series War Games, which was a pretty banger of a show. Uh, starting things off, Team Bianca gets the dub with a strong return from the man, Becky Lynch. AJ Styles gets the win over Finn Balor and has the battle scars to prove it. Ronda won a match and no one cared. Uh, in a banger of a triple threat match, Austin Theory makes the most of his opportunity, becoming a two-time United States champion. And finally, the bloodline wins after Sami Zayn proves his allegiance to the family. I went three and two. I will take that three and two proudly because Loki should have known Team Bianca was going to win. And Austin Theory winning was a not necessarily a shock, but I just didn't think they'd take the belt off of Seth this early. But I'm not complaining. Great match. So much so that it was actually my favorite match of the night. Um, even though it wasn't crazy long, I do think that everyone who participated had a really strong showing. I mean, Bobby looked great. He still looks strong because he wasn't involved in the pin. Austin Theory, obviously new champion. And Seth, I mean, I think he's going to continue kind of being in the United States title picture until he eventually gets back in the uh, – world championship picture so i'm excited can't wait to see how this all plays out um favorite moment this is tough because i had a moment but i had to kind of get rid of it because i mean i don't think there's anything better than everything that happened with Sami Zayn and kevin owens like and it's funny because it, everybody you know at the time was like oh my gosh kevin i mean not kevin sammy turned on kevin i can't believe it but it's like if you look back at the history all kevin owens did was screw sammy Zayn. so it's about time he gets his comeuppance plus they're going to be tag champs in a few months anyway but everything that happened and then of course the embrace with jay i mean premium storytelling beautiful moment um I mean, honestly, just that whole, what, five-minute segment was – not segment, but you get what I mean. That five-minute moment in the match was probably the best thing that happened all night. Um, increased stock, though, Austin Theory kind of talked about it a little bit ago. But, I mean, this new and improved attitude, I think that it is nice that they actually put the belt on him and now you kind of take him more seriously as a champion. I'm kind of interested to see how his demeanor changes because – now you're a champion. How do you continue that grudge? How do you continue to show, like, you are this new and improved Austin Theory, not the next big anything? I'm interested to see how that all develops. Decrease stock, Ronda Rousey. One, because she sucks and been saying that forever. Two, because, honestly, the SmackDown women's division is in shambles and desperately needs Sasha Banks, Naomi, and, of course, the queen, Charlotte Flair. And then number three, that match was undoubtedly the worst of the card. And, um... 
Botchamania Ronda Rousey definitely played a big part of that. Um, my one booking decision, I would have had Rhea play a bigger role in the War Games match. I understand it wasn't really her beef. You know what I'm saying? It was really uh, damage control and then Bianca, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss. But, I mean, you have Rhea there. She is a professional War Games match participant. I would have liked to see a little bit more of her, but then, I mean, it was cool to see her take the miss spot. She's a better woman than I. I couldn't do it. But, I mean, you know, I think Rhea Ripley and Bianca is going to be the next really big women's feud. I think, based off Raw, it seems like Alexa Bliss is going to be up next, which, I mean, is kind of lame, but whatever. I still want Rhea versus Bianca at WrestleMania, and I want it to headline because it's obviously main event caliber match. But just expect a little bit more from her. Not complaining, though. Uh, my WTF moment was Bianca Belair breaking the kendo stick with her leg? Like, I'm sure there are plenty of wrestlers who can do it, but it's very rare that it actually happens. And this is, for a fact, the first time I've ever seen a woman do it. And so, of course, when Bianca did it, I marked out, and I thought it was really dope. And I just wish she would have used it as a weapon, because after she did it, she kind of just threw it to the side. Like, nah, start, start whacking people. Now you broke it in half, you can start whacking people twice as fast. That's what I would have done. But, I mean, it was still a really dope moment uh, to me. And then overall show grade, I give it a B plus. I mean... I think war games matches, I mean, they're always going to be fun to watch. Like, even if you don't necessarily have a dog and a fighter, if you kind of already know who's going to win, it's still cool because it still kind of tells those stories. They drag a little bit, in my opinion, but, I mean, both were really entertaining. Of course, United States Championship match was a banger. Um, I'm missing something. Oh, yeah, AJ and Finn, obviously a banger. I mean, come on now, AJ Styles and Finn Balor. And then, you know. Ronda and Shotzi brought it down. No offense to Shotzi. Shotzi's cool, but I mean, Ronda Rousey kind of sucks. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the Export.net RP. The Export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow Export writers. Previous episodes are our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. For myself, you know what it is. Go LSU. Let's shock the world. Let's beat Georgia SEC champions again. Second time since 2019. Uh, Baltimore. Don't let me down. Please, love God, don't let me down. I can't handle back-to-back stress, stressful weekends. And um, I'm sure Memphis uh, for, for uh, Ethan. Go Grizz, obviously. And uh, for my Lakers, just keep holding on. Still very early in the season, but by golly, we're not dead yet, even though it feels like it. But once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.